Watcher, and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing engineer. I'm not sure why I said watcher, I'm not sure why that was my choice, but it's an interesting word, and I fancy saying an interesting word. Watcher. It's a very old school word, isn't it? Anyway, this this week is the second half of my interview with Joe Montague, who is a session drummer with All You Need Is Drums. This time we talk more about his practical approach to session drumming. How does he work out what parts to play? How does he go about it? How many takes does he do? All these kinds of things and more is what we cover in this week's half of the interview. So I'm not going to rabbit on anymore. On we go. So moving over back to your business and to session drumming and to things like that. Say an artist wants to hire you to be the session drummer on their music, whatever EP or album, whatever it is. What do they need to do? What are the what, how, where did they start? So they'll usually have found me through Instagram and found my website, and I've got tons of stems on there of the, of the Beatles stuff I've re-recorded. And so usually, I think there's forty now up there, and they just wade through all of those. And they that's deliberately exactly what I do for people. So the way that those stems are laid out is exactly what you're essentially buying <laughs> when you when you hire me to do something um so they can go you know there's nothing you know it's not not one one rule for one person and another for another everybody gets exactly the same and then i usually you know i get an inquiry of uh, like you've just said sort of you know what can how much do you charge for a track and i've got a flat rate that uh, there's so many there's so many things where this sort of remote recording i've seen it on american forums and things um you know, I charge an hourly rate and then charge extra for percussion and charge you know oh what what if the, they want a second take I'll oh, charge them charge them extra for the second like no no <laughs> just a flat rate it doesn't matter if your song's two minutes long or 10 minutes long it's the same I'll put the same effort into it whether it's two minutes long or 20 minutes long it you know it's just it's the same thing and um, it all works out in the wash. That's kind of how I think of it. And I'll do whatever it needs to happen for the song to work in for the same money. It doesn't, I, I just want it to be forgotten about the, the sort of money side of it so that I can just get on with working. And then I've got a list of questions that I send to artists to consider. So technical things like tempos and sample rates and all of that kind of stuff. And then I usually ask for reference tracks and why you like the reference track is a really important question. That's a good question. I like that. Yeah. What is it about that track that makes you like it so much? So that means that I'll often get sent two or three different reference tracks and be like, oh, the tom sound in this track's brilliant, but I like the snare sound in this track and I like the overall vibe of this track. And then in my head, it's like, okay, cool. I'll make the tom sound like that, the snare sound like that, and I'll play like this. And it's so gives you a real good insight into what what's going on inside people's heads and then there's some other stuff like uh, you know things that that you that I may not have thought about that you think are worth mentioning that sort of stuff so I ask for that form to get filled out and then they send me through the track and then from there I'll learn the track so I've got a, a big notebook with all the songs I I work on in I'll learn it all and then we'll arrange a phone call um, and that's a really important thing for me where often we'll chat for an hour, <laughs> often about the Beatles and sometimes about the, the perils of, of parenting, all sorts of stuff. Um, and then we'll talk about the track. And what that that gives to people from my point of view is 
it makes them know that I'm a human and I'm just a guy. And it shows them they can get a feel for the way that I operate and the sorts of reasons why I've asked the questions in that form. And then I can hear from them, even if they say the same stuff, it often is like, oh, you know that track I sent you? I love the Tom sound in it. It maybe there's a little bit too, it's a bit too boomy. So maybe like that Tom sound, but a bit drier. And that wouldn't have come up in the email, but that was really important in the conversation to to come up with because it's all adjusting the way that I, you know, I'm sort of taking notes all the way through the call to make sure that what I deliver is what they expect. And so there's a mixture of them telling me what they want and me managing their expectations of what my thoughts are and also helping them realize that, you know, I'm there as a servant to them, essentially. I'm going to do what I want on the song within what the realm of what they've described but it's not a big deal if you want me to do it again. You know, if it's not right, I'm a, I've got a very thick skin and I'm happy to just do it again for you. Like, and I want to get that across to them, you know, that I'm not judging or, you know, going to suddenly go into like this big defensive thing. It's like, if it's not right, I'm, I've done it wrong. So just, you know, tell me what it is and I'll sort it for you. <laughs> and it's really like a nice icebreaker for, for that. Yeah, and that, that, so that's kind of it. That's my, my initial sort of process. And then it, what tends to happen after someone's worked with me once is when the next track comes, they'll already have the form there. So I'll often get an email that just says like, hey, Joe, I've got another track for you. Here's the details. And it, all of that's been done before, uh, like for me. And I can say, you know, I'm free, uh, you know, week Friday, you want to book in for a call? And they'll be like, yep, yeah, cool. Send the deposit over. And then you're rocking. And that's... they. And I, the feedback I've got from people is that they like that system because they know what they know what they're getting at that point. You know, all they know, all they need to do is tell me these details, send me the track in this particular way, and you know, there's no hassle. They, you know, there's no like, oh, do you think you could send it to me with a slightly this and a slightly that? And it's, you know, it's just really clear what what needs to happen. What what is the particular way that you receive a track? Now, again, a very nerdy technical question, but it might just help if anyone's thinking about it, but it doesn't quite sure what it's going to be like. So it's not a particularly particular way. <laughs> um, it is. Uh, so I like to have a full MP3 of you know WAVs don't particularly matter at this point because I'm just listening to it. So an MP3 of the whole thing. So if you've got guide drums or anything like that. Sometimes I'll have people send me their initial email and they'll take, have taken the guide drums out because it will be, oh, it's just working with them so that, that, you know, you don't need to hear them. Actually, I really want to hear them because that's what you've built the song around. So they're going to have influenced you whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, so it's really important for me. Also, it's important to discuss why you don't like those drums and what you want me to do differently. So I want that. <laughs> I also like to have, obviously, a version of the track without any drums on. And the technical bit is that it needs to have a blank bar at the start of it. It doesn't matter so much if the drums don't come in straight away, but if the drums are in on beat one, it should start, it should have a blank bar. If it doesn't, it's not something I'm too rigid about. You know, if someone sends me it and I'll just move it along one in, in logic and tell them that I've done it after the fact. And if the guide drums are are a particular thing, which often is the case, people have programmed drums for me, to listen to i want to hear them just on their own because sometimes subtleties get lost in the in the mix and i like to hear little ghost notes i've ha- basically had it in the past where i've learned midi drums to replicate and couldn't hear a particular thing that obviously they intimately knew 
I didn't know. So I've done my interpretation of what's going on and it wasn't exactly what was going on because it wasn't clear. And, um, and I've, I've redone it for them. So now that's something I always ask for. If it is MIDI drums, it's nice to have, it's nice to have a, exactly what you've been working with so that I can sort of use that as a starting point. So you've gone through all this process with a, a particular song and you've got an idea for the part that you're going to do and you've you've you're in the room you, everything's set up and you're ready to go at that point do you do you know what you're going to play or are you still going to try and spend time working out and just f- refining the track that you're playing yeah i do so uh, the second bit <laughs> um, so generally i'll put um i'll have put the song in logic already and marked it all out put my markers in and stuff like that because i do that before the call um and then I'll sit down and I'll usually have a pretty good idea of sound, the sound I want before I start. So I'll probably change the snare up, make sure the toms are tuned how I want them, switch out some cymbals. And so I, I get the set ready to go. So it's kind of a, the sounds are right for me. And then I'll have a, a playthrough. And that playthrough might not even be a full playthrough. It might only just be a verse chorus or something. And if it's not sounding right, I'll change. I'll keep doing that until I'm happy that the sounds are right. You know, I've got like isolation headphone. You know, I'm using in ears, and then I put headphones over the top of my in ears, so I can hear only the recorded sound, and I know I know what I'm aiming at. And then once I've got some sounds I'm happy with, I'll blast through the whole track, maybe two or three times actually, um, just refining parts and making sure that. You know, oh, there's a little vocal bit there that I kind of like and I, I haven't got it. So I'm just going to make sure I get that. And then once I'm really happy that I know. So I, at all of this time, I'll be marking things on my chart. Um, you know, if it's not if it's not a particularly complicated song, I probably won't even write a chart out for it. But if it's a if there's a lot going on, I will. And if there's a bit where, you know, maybe I've decided that it needs to be, I don't know, the, the rim of the floor, Tom, and the snare. I'll write that on the chart so that I know exactly what's going on um, and some specific bits. And then there comes a point where I've I've basically recorded, listened back, recorded, listened back until I'm really happy with A, the sound and B, what I'm playing. And then I'll start doing takes. And I, I used to do uh, different sections and I'm actually, I don't need to do that really anymore. I can usually get through, um, unless there needs to be any particular sound changes, I just run through the whole track and my goal is to try and get through a get a complete take um this is again comes to this sort of like 60s mentality of trying to get a full take where there's a drum part in it almost like a what would you call it what do they what's the name for them like a like a track where it's just sort of the main drum track if you like oh the the um the bass track i guess is probably yeah like a it. basic a basic track that's it that's the word i'm looking for so a basic drum track so it might be you know we sort of talked about hi-hats not needing to be in the song so i'll make a judgment of what that basic track is and i'll usually record that uh, at the moment it's usually three times and by the the third time is the one i film for instagram <laughs> <laughs> so usually the second one is the one that i keep and the third one is the one that goes on instagram um because by the third time, I'm just going through the motions of it. The, f- the first two times, by take one, I've already played the song enough times that I know what's happening and I've made all my mistakes. So take one and two are somewhere uh, usually about right. And then the third take is is 
is the one I do for Instagram. And it's also the one that I let myself do a few things that I might not have done it just in case they happen to work. Um, cause sometimes those third takes are just the one like that's, it sounds great straight away. Cause I've let myself, I've allowed myself to be a bit freer. So yeah, and that, that's kind of it. So I'll try and get that full basic track down. And then from there I'll build the rest of it. So I don't necessarily, it's not often that I just play drums on the song. It's usually that, you know, it needs, there's needs to be some other sounds in there. So I'll then start doing, so I'll, I, on my template, I'll have my basic drum track there. And then I've got sort of sub subgroups and I'll, that are all set up to record straight away. So then I'll go and I'll, again, I kind of know what sounds I'm searching for. So it might be that the snare needs to be, um, needs to have some sort of like odd sound on it. So I'll, either I'll sample it and then put it as a, um, you know, put it as a sample alongside the snare part, or I'll literally just play along with the full take of the track. Um, and I, again, that's something I like to do. I don't enjoy copying and pasting very much. I'll nearly always do another run of the whole thing um, and try and get that every single time, just nail it on and that kind of stuff. And then I'll build the rest of it around that. And it, there's some tracks that, that will be, you know, maybe the verse sound ha- needs to be different from the chorus sound. So I'll decide on which one is going to be the basic drum track. And then I'll track another, I've got another little te- <laughs> sub template <laughs> and I'll track again, the chorus sound and change the kit sound up maybe, or I don't know. It, it, every every track's kind of slightly different, but that's the basic way that I work is, is a basic track, then overdubs and percussion. One of the things I really like about older recordings is the fact that because it's on tape, uh, you have to do it all beginning to end, really. And there's only so many times you can overdub it before the tape gets really bad. So you just need to do the song from beginning to end. And there's something about the energy of that that I think modern record records have lost. And it's really hard to define what it is beyond you just play the whole song. But yeah, I do agree that there is something to that. I enjoy it. And I like, particularly if I'm making clap tracks, I, I make clap tracks for every song that need not I don't make clap tracks for every song but every song that needs a clap track I'll make a new clap track for it and this isn't proper nerdy but I do four four versions because there were four Beatles and they all did the clap tracks <laughs> and I I will deliberately make it a bit shoddy you know because otherwise it you know if it was just me it's my time just playing over the same over my time again <laughs> so it's likely to have the same feel to it so I'll sort of change right hand on top left hand on top clapping in a different way and I'll deliberately make it a bit flammy and then I might even let the occasional depending on what the song is I mean obviously if it's like a tight pop song then I won't but if it's a you know if it's a song that suits it I might let the occasional things slide you know if I'm doing like boom chat 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 boom chat 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 I might let let just one clap on its own go boom chat chat chaka and have an extra clap on one of them just just because that's the sort of thing, again, it's nerdy, but that's what Lennon would have done when they were all stood around the mics. And that's the excitement of it for me. I did a track the other week for someone where it was like um, that sort of a rag, it's not rag, is it Rag and Bone Man? I think it is Rag and Bone Man. That sort of um, boom, boom, that sort of vibe. But it wasn't as heavy as that. It was like a folky sort of tune. And it needed to be a bit raggedy like that. And I genuinely stomped and clapped around my room. And I was going like, boom, boom, cha, doom, doom. I'm just walking around my room. And 
that got the vibe because there's no way to be precise when you're doing that. And it got the, the sort of like, almost like a gang of people all playing together sort of feel. And that's what I'm trying to get. So that's when you do, when you're doing whole takes, even if I've made a slight error, often when you revisit the error, it's, it doesn't sound like an error at all. It just sounds, often it's not even noticeable. And by the time I got to the end of the take, I can't remember where the error was anyway. (laughs) I actually put out an Instagram post about this just today about evaluating takes. And you're 100% right that a lot of musicians are actually quite afraid to make mistakes. And the slightest thing you can go, well, I'm on a computer, I can just quickly, you know, redo this little bit and put it in. But if you try and do the whole song or do a big chunk of the song, tiny mistakes will really genuinely go unnoticed by a lot of people. And those who do notice it will probably like it for what it is instead of going, what an amateur musician, that's terrible. (laughs) Precisely, that's exactly it. And I mean, this might be controversial, but in my sort of three takes that I do, so I, you know, when I basically, I listen to the tracks when I get home later. So I, I tend not to, depending on how complicated it is, I tend not to sort of re-listen and balance anything while I'm in the room. I'll get home later on that night. I've just done it before we called, actually. I did two sessions today and um, I balanced both of them on these headphones on my laptop. You know, I've had a couple of hours away from the studio to, for my ears to refresh and for whatever my emotions attached to my performances have, have gone. So I can really try and listen to them sort of objectively. And I, I, that's where you don't start to notice, that's where the mistakes kind of wash out because you've forgotten exactly what the mistakes were. And to be honest, I'll usually have that, that take three or that take two. I'll make a decision in, in the moment of which one I like. And then I'll leave that one there. And then I open the project folder and that one's there and I'll listen back to it. And if there's nothing wrong with it, I'm not going to listen to the other ones because, <laughs> you know, there might be something nicer in terms of part. But if I if I like the other one, I'm just, I, the first one that was there, I'll just keep it because why not? <laughs> yeah, why? You can't, you can't second guess yourself as well. No, why agonize over listening to three different versions to sort of pinpoint the minutiae of why one's slightly better than the other? Um, it opens a huge can of worms and I'll just go, yeah, that one sounds cool. I like it. Let's go with it. And then, then I flatten it. <laughs> that's where, that's the big, the big thing. I genuinely will go, that's the take and flatten it. And they're all gone. Everything's gone. That's the only audio I've got to deal with now. Brutal. It is, it is brutal, but that's, it's a, a weight off my shoulders. It's committed, committing to what you got. Yeah. W- once I've sent something to the artist, that never gets deleted. So if they've heard something you know, there's there's always a chance that if we have to do, if we ever have done any revisits, that they they might want to go back to something that was in the first version. And there's always a danger of that. So that once the artist has heard something, it never gets deleted. Um, and unless they've specifically asked me to send them a few uh, multiple takes, I, I'm not going to. I think it's more work for them. And I think it's, I think that part of the appeal of hiring a remote player is the, to get rid of choice. Um, you know, it makes make I have to make the choice for them, and they don't they don't get to choose, and that I think that that's a positive thing. So do I, to be honest. My next question is the most open ended question you could hope to be asked ever. What makes a good session drummer? <laughs> Communication, I think, is the one potentially the biggest the biggest point. I think there's a balance between conviction of my own ideas, you know, having a, a creativity in me um, that I can bring to the table. You know, I, I'm, I've certainly got 
well, I hope I've got a personality on the drums and that can come across on the songs when needed, but also a willingness to just purely do whatever needs to happen. And that's it. There's no, you know, I've sort of taken inspiration from the the Ringo thing and there's no ego in what I do at all. It's just whatever I think works. If you're going to get, you know, if you're going to give me freedom, I'll do what I think, but I'm also more than happy to just sack everything that I think off. Even if I've sent you a version and it doesn't work, you know, I think it's brilliant, but you don't like it. It's gone. I don't care. (laughs) I want whatever you want, basically, but I bring my own ideas to the table when I need to, you know, and I, I, there's been occasions where I've gently persuaded a point. Um, You know, if there's something where I think, you know, someone's asked me for something that's really jarring, I might say, I, obviously I'm more than happy to do that but I really do think that that this way is is better um, I probably wouldn't use the word better but I really think that this way is working obviously I'll, I'll happily do what you want me to do and what tends to happen in those instances is I'll send two versions over um, and I don't know which one ever gets used but yeah that's kind of it and I, I think that's it just the willingness to listen and be you know I, I'm not technically a, a the best drummer ever I can play you know I've got great time <laughs> I can play in time <laughs> yeah I, I can be creative with my fills and my parts and um I think so I'd say maybe strong time good creativity and um more most importantly good communication and, and listening skills I think you're right that is important it's it's one of those odd things as a session musician where you've got a certain amount of expertise to bring to the table and to the project where you can go to put it bluntly i know how my instrument works in songs <laughs> but at the same time you are serving someone else's vision and they will probably have a fairly strong idea of what they're looking for so it's about balancing it's that weird balance where you sort of if i can put it bluntly know what's best but the artist needs to feel like they've been listened to and they got they, what they want absolutely that's you've described it perfectly one of the nice things about having a sort of a niche style like I do is we've often got a huge amount in common musically. So I'm, I guess this is, this is kind of the ideal scenario for any session musician, really. Like I'm being approached to do my thing on a track, which isn't really my thing. It's Ringo's thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's your thing then. Yeah. So, you know, they, the way that my sort of social media output is, people generally already have a pretty good idea of what I do before they approach me. You know, you know, we've, we've discussed before we started recording, like you're, you do a lot of metal stuff. I, I no one's going to approach me and ask to do a metal track. I'd like to see what it is. <laughs> it will sound like Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would just say no to it um, because I can't do it. It's not, I'm not the right person for it. So fortunately for me that, that sort of, um, I don't really ever come across awkward situations because it's, you know, usually what the artist wants is is what I would have done anyway. You branded yourself in a very particular way that makes it very clear what you do. Yes, exactly. And the reference points that they use, it, you know, they obviously use a lot of Beatles references I get sent and it might be, you know, oh, I love those, those fills on Hello Goodbye. And then I immediately know what kind of thing they want and I can do, you know, I can deliver that. And yeah, it kind of is, is a... It's nice. And then when they asked me to put my spin spin on something, one of the the other track I did today, there was no reference drums at all. It was a completely drumless track. 
And uh, there was a bit of, I think this might work, and that's it. So I just did my thing, and I'm yet to hear back. I actually, he may have emailed while we've been chatting. I'm yet to hear back. But that's a good situation of, I got to make the decision, and I managed his, his expectations on the phone by saying, this is what my idea is. And he was like, yeah, cool, try it. Um, so I get to bring my creativity to the table. I think it's cool. I, you know, I listened back to it an hour ago and, and I think it's working. But I'm all ears if he doesn't think it's working and wants me to try something else. That's totally cool. <laughs> What's your favourite thing about what you do? I mean, obviously I love recording and I love... Nothing makes... Not nothing, because the thing I'm going to say in a second is is better, but I love listening to drums back and knowing that I made that sound, you know, that that gear in this room made that noise. And I could listen to, I just love it. I love that. It makes me feel really proud. And I, I, I love the nuances of, um, I just got a new mixing desk and I, I literally did a session on the mixing uh, on the, with the desk incorporated into the setup. And then I listened to the raw audio of that, that for like so many times over just, because I'm so I mean, I'm so intimately aware of how my drums sound that any slight change, I notice it really clearly. So I was like, oh, I love what it's doing to this and I love what it's doing to that. So I really like that side of things. But having said that, nothing is more rewarding than when I send a track to an artist and they come back to me and they're like, Joe, this is incredible. I could cry every time like that makes me making other people happy with their music and like hoping to helping elevate their music to to sort of create a vision that they they were hoping for that's the thing that I love most about this those emails are, are by by far the best thing about this job <laughs> I, I can I can get on board with that it's just the moment where someone goes, you did a good job. And yeah, and you go, yes, I did. Well, it's just more that like the, yeah, the fact that, you know, maybe they'd spent two days programming some drums and then they send it to me and we have a chat. And later that evening, I, they get sent exactly what they imagined in their head and they had been trying to program. It's not about me doing a good job on their song. It's about me being able to give them what was in their head and them going, this is mint. <laughs> I love this. And that's what makes me so happy because they're suddenly happy about their track and hopefully inspired to, to do more. You know, a lot of, a few of the people I work with are writers who have begun writing in lockdown and then they get me involved and we start being, you know, maybe I'll do something that's a little bit not what they were expecting and they'll listen to it and a few days later they'll be like, do you know what, I wasn't sure about that, but what you did is really cool. And then that pushes them the next time they write to do something a bit more creative. And that that's that's kind of a nice aspect of it too. What is your th- your favourite song that you've worked on so far? If you can pick a favourite, I know that might be a controversial thing. I kn- well, obviously I knew you were going to ask me that and I, I kind of started thinking about it and I couldn't, I couldn't decide on one. You know, there's been songs that I've done that are that have done cool things, you know, um, we've been released on particular labels or you know, there was one track I worked on for someone that got reviewed in the New York Times last year. And that, that was kind of a nice moment, but that's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily make it the, the, the most fun thing or I don't know. It's, um, there isn't, I just, I, 
I'm such a positive guy. And when I, when I write my emails to the, to the artists I'm working with at the end of the day, I find myself writing the same stuff because I believe it. And I, I genuinely have, I get so wrapped up in the recording of that, you know, that feeling when you, when you're into something and time just doesn't exist. That's, that's recording for me. So when I get on it with, with someone's song, I'll just go, I'll be, you know, I'm in it. You know, time has just disappeared and I'm like, oh, I need to get that tambourine and make that noise and do, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I got that? And then I just do, do all this stuff. And it almost doesn't matter what the song is. I'm just having a really great time. (laughs) I don't think there's one particular one I could pinpoint. I mean, there's a, a guy, a friend of mine called Joe Kane who lives up in Glasgow He's got a band, a project called The Poppermost, and I didn't play on The Poppermost stuff. I've played on Joe's previous incarnations of things, and he is incredible to work with. He's one of has to be one of my favorite people to work with, because um, he's so open to things, and but at the same time has quite specific ideas about what he wants. He's a Paul McCartney impersonator, so we've got very similar similar sort of uh, feels about what we like. But yeah, he's he's great fun to work with. Everyone's great, man. I just, I just love all of it. <laughs> so positive. Oh man, can't, it's, can't really argue. It's with sickening, it. isn't it? <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. No. And finally, I can't, I can't let you go without mentioning your podcast, which is that sixties recording podcast. I've started listening to it. I'm going to say probably only a few weeks ago. I'm about halfway through all your back catalogue right now, and I'm absolutely loving it. So, why don't you tell us about your podcast? So this came as a bit of a lockdown idea um, last March. Kind of thought, everyone's at home. <laughs> so I could probably get hold of some pretty cool people. I was like, I'm, well, basically, I'm going to go big or go home here. So I emailed kind of a bit, a bit of a wish list of people. And the first person to reply to me was Ken Scott. And that knocked me for six. Yeah. Turns out he only lives up the road from me. He's not far. And we have, so he teaches at one of the unis, um, he's a guest lecturer at one of the unis in Leeds. Um, So we have a few mutual people that we know. Um, So I kind of mentioned them and I think that's why he was quite amenable to speaking with me. So he was the first person I ever, I interviewed really. Wow. Yeah, I was bricking it. So if you listen back to that interview, I don't know if you can hear it, but my voice was like, I I mean, I was literally, my heart was racing the whole of that interview. (laughs) very nerve-wracking I'd, I'd like to do it again because i i'm much more confident with it now and i'd love to speak with him again but yeah that was that and then i think once i'd got ken scott on that opened the floodgates for more people who were of note to come to agree to do it and that's it really so i've managed to speak i think the whole idea of the whole ethos of the podcast is to um talk about uh talk with people who were involved with 60s recording directly but then talk about people who um, approach their music work in with a, with a sort of mentality of how people recorded in the 60s. So um, with that in mind, I get, you know, lots of guys who were there. And then I speak to producers and um, engineers who have, um, who've made records that I, I would associate with sort of a 60s sound. Um, or have an approach that isn't a 60s sound. So for that, that's kind of stuff we've alluded to in, in our conversation already. So fewer overdubs, uh, well, not overdubs, but like trying not to drop in for things, letting a few things slide, making a, getting a particular sound 
you know, I like a lot of vintage gear, so that kind of is is my sound. So I tend to gravitate towards people that have a, a good collection of sort of vintage gear because that, you know, that sort of shouts at me that they they like a particular sound. So yeah, that's the kind of the the whole idea of it. And there seems to be a general a theme that runs through all of them, which is you know get it right on the way in and make it sound good on the way in, and uh, that seems to come up a lot. Uh, and then I've m- more recently started to do sort of topic episodes where the last episode that just came out, so the, the Mar- two March episodes have been about a drummer called Bobby Graham, um, who died, I think, up, a couple of years ago. And there's some guys who've made a Facebook page about his career. And he played on thousands of hits in the 60s, but no one really knows who he is. I didn't know who he was, if I'm honest. So that's kind of another another aspect of it. So as the podcast goes on, you know, as I realized this was something that people actually wanted to listen to <laughs> and I realized finding people to be guests on it is actually really, really hard because um, everyone's really busy. That's another area that I'm going to I'm going to sort of explore, maybe do uh, some stuff on some producers like Phil Spector or Joe Meek um, or Mickey Most and those those kind of guys and um, sort of uh, get a get a broader, a broader spectrum of um, of what's going on in 60s music. It's a really good podcast. I can highly recommend it on a, a personal level. Oh, thank you. I hope that there's enough in there that, I mean, I know that a, a broad group of the listeners are musicians and engineers and, and producers, but there's another group of them that are just music enthusiasts who they, I think they quite enjoy, from the feedback I've got, quite enjoy listening to music talk and gear nerdery. Even if it washes over them, they just enjoy hearing hearing about it. Um and getting an insight into the way that these producers that make these sounds, how they think about things, you know, I, I enjoy it. You know, the idea that I'm speaking to a person that worked with the Beatles <laughs> blows my mind. <laughs> Casual. But that's the, you know, the great thing about it is the way that we've, what we've discussed today was their approach. You know, they didn't agonize over mic placements or anything like that. They just banged it up in a way that they they thought was going to be good and and left it there. You know, they, they, there was none, none of this sort of agonizing over minutiae that we're allowed, we're able to do now. That just didn't exist back then. And the, you know, there's a reason why the '60s is isn't called the golden era of recording, or the sort of mid '60s to the mid '70s. And that's got, it's surely got something to do with with that approach of, you know, that sort of. What's the the word like laissez faire approach to to doing it? You know that gets that gets vibe essentially. You know that's what we're after, isn't it? And uh, sort of a how loud your hi hat is doesn't matter <laughs> so much when it comes to vibe. <laughs> so Joe, where can people find you if they want to get in contact, find out about what you're doing? So I have a website which is allyouneedisdrums.com, um, and I have a mailing list which you can sign up for on there, where every Tuesday morning I send out the drums that I've re-recorded of a Beatles song. Um, and I painstakingly um, transcribe every little detail of what Ringo's played and make sure it's pretty bob on. <laughs> um, I Hopefully it's like 99% there. So I send, just send that out for free every Tuesday. That comes at 8.30 in the morning to whoever, whoever wants to receive it. And then uh, I have Instagram, which is at all you need is drums. And the podcast is that 60s recording podcast, and that's 60S. Um, and that's everywhere you get podcasts, like Spotify and iTunes and, and uh, what have you. And that's, yeah, that's me. <laughs>
all of the above. And in fact, it'll be on whatever podcast player you're listening to right now. It will have it on, almost certainly. And if it doesn't, message me and I'll sort it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there'll be all those links are in the show notes, or they will be when I've finished editing this thing. So, Joe, thanks for talking. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So that's it for another episode of the Music Survivor Guide. I really enjoyed that interview. I'm sure you did too. If you enjoyed that, please leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I think most podcast players have a review system of some sort. Pop a quick review in there. I would honestly love it. I really also appreciate it if you'd share it with any friends and bandmates if you thought it was useful. If you think about hiring maybe a session musician or even Joe himself, then this is a great interview to listen to. We also have a community on Facebook called the Music Survival Guide Community. Hop over there for chats about music and band life with other musicians and industry people. And I will see you next time.